showing you how to reignite the embers of a distant and lonely relationship into a blazing, emotionally intimate connection. I'm your host, Amber Dawson. I'm a psychologist, author, and speaker. A few of my favorite things are my husband, grapes, and my adorable little dog, Riggs. Now let's learn how to create a soul crush in love that lasts. Hit subscribe in your podcast app so that simply by listening, you can rekindle your relationship by pouring a little gas on your relationship ember. This podcast is for informational purposes and should not be misconstrued for specific relationship advice. For advice for your specific relationship, seek a local couples therapist for relationship counseling for couples therapy. All right, everybody, we have Rachel Wright here with us today, and we are having a conversation that is a very special conversation that is something that in our society, I kind of find we don't really know how to talk about. (laughs) And I'd like for us to start to talk about it, even if it's a little messy or confusing. So we're going to be talking about open relationships, non-monogamy today, and exploring that, talking about it, finding some language for it, destigmatizing it. And no better guest to have with us than Rachel Rachel Wright. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Oh, warms my heart. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here and to talk about this. It's near and dear to my heart personally, professionally. It's just, it's a very important topic that we just simply do not, like you said, we just don't talk about. Yeah, we don't talk about it. So I was recently listening to Rachel's new podcast. What is it? The Right Show? The Right Conversation? The Right Conversations. The Right Conversations. Yeah. And um, she shares her experience um, talking about like learning about non-monogamy in graduate school. Um, and that's where I learned about it too. Like I kind of heard about it, but not not really until graduate school. And as, as professionals in the psychology field, it's wild to me that like, this is where we're getting educated about it. And wild to me that like, you know, we don't know how to talk about it till then. There must be a lot of people that don't know what's going on. Truly. And then even then, like, I remember actively seeking out more information and taking like extra CEUs, continuing education units for those who are like, what, what is that? Um, extra classes in different relationship structures and in kink and in like all of these things that kind of come up in, in a master's program in clinical psych, like, oh, this may come into your sphere. Okay. Moving on to the next topic. And I had to really seek that out. And so if, if I had to seek it out and I still didn't figure it all out up until later, like what are people supposed to do? So that's, yeah, I'm really happy we're talking about it. Me too. And just before we got on the call, we were talking about um, how sometimes even therapists uh, don't know what to do with this. If somebody brings it up and, and people can be shamed accidentally or kind of told they're wrong or have a therapist place their own value judgment on that. And I think it's really important that people learn that if they have their own feelings, they want to explore like that's okay. Yeah. And, and not all, you know, in the same way that not every therapist just for every person, this is the same concept, you know, not all therapists are going to be comfortable delving into this stuff. And while in an ideal world, all therapists could be comfortable in delving into almost any topic. It's just not reality because therapists are human beings too. And we all have specialties and we all have focuses and things that we're personally drawn to and, and more, um, more in our zone of genius. And so if you're working with someone that doesn't get it and is not willing to get it, that's the biggest piece. Like I have had so many clients that have come to me later on and said, you know, my therapist at first was like, I don't even know what that is, but they said, I want to learn with you and let's, let's read ethical slut at the same time and talk about it in session. And in that way you can grow with your therapist. The, the hard stop is when a therapist is like placing either their ignorance or their judgment onto you as the client and saying, you know, well, it sounds like you're really jealous a lot. So like, maybe that's just not the right choice for you. Mm -hmm. And not only is that so wrong on on every ethical level, but for someone like me who experiences non-monogamy as an orientation, that is so, um, 
it would be the same thing as telling me like, well, it sounds like your queerness is uh, creating difficulty for you in the world. Have you tried being not queer? Mm -hmm. Right. Like it's so deeply offensive and not everybody experiences non-monogamy that way. I just happen to be one of them, but yeah. So find a therapist who can either affirm you, learn with you and who's not going to shame you and not want to learn. Yeah. I love what you said there. And like you said, there's different therapists for everybody. It's so often about goodness of fit that might not be their zone and like, might not be like, like us, maybe they never got the training or maybe they got Mm -hmm. training where their training was that, um, only, only a relationship that's monogamous is, can be a relationship that can work. And which is very unfortunate that I do know that some people have gotten that training. Yeah. It's also, it's very, um, there's a lot of roots in colonialism with that, Mm. you know, before white Christian people came in and settled in the States, most of the indigenous cultures here were non-monogamous. And so it's such a slap in the face to so many people, both not with us anymore and living from those indigenous cultures to say like, Oh, well, we didn't, we don't respect that form of relationship. It's like, no, you came in and, murdered people <laughs> because you didn't agree with mm-hmm. what they were doing. Right. So it's, it's a very old practice. It just, we got really puritanical and it got engrossed in purity culture. And we're finally starting to be able to name that and mm-hmm. to be able to take steps away from that. If that is what we want as individuals. Yeah. So can you, maybe begin to walk us through how you started to come to understand that this was an orientation for you and what kind of inklings might've been going on inside that helped you to begin to figure that out? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, in hindsight, I started figuring this out when I was like 13 years old. Um, In actual time, like in present time, I didn't really realize it until about 24 ish. So I had like a solid 10 years of being a serial monogamist of kind of sort of cheating, but not really like really finding those gray areas of like having more than one important relationship while not technically crossing the line of what our monogamous culture tells us is cheating. Um, And I did not understand, like I had a deep misunderstanding and lack of understanding of why I couldn't love the person that I was with and why seeing what it was like to kiss that other person, why that had anything to do with my feelings and relationship with the person I was in a relationship with. Mm. So it sounds like you were kind of experiencing this sense in your body that you could have two relationships or two sets of feelings that they weren't, they were, they were separate from one another. Yeah. In the same way that we have many friends and we're not like, how is it that you have 10 friends? I don't, uh, right. Like we have different relationships with different people and my relationship with Jane doesn't take away or change my friendship with Joey, right? Like it. And so that is how I experience romantic and sexual relationships as well. Um, and that's, it's, that's the really interesting thing is we all experience that we just, most of us experience it platonically and Mm -hmm. haven't really asked ourselves, do I experience this romantically? Could I experience this sexually? Mm -hmm. Um, do I want to see if I can, it -hmm. may not come naturally because we're super indoctrinated. Um, but that's how it came up for me was this question of like, why is it that I have to commit to one person in order to have a quote unquote, good relationship and if I do that, then that means that I can't explore myself. I can't explore my sexuality and how I could show up with different people because I knew that I was getting different things from different friendships. And so I knew that it would be similar in a romantic or sexual way. Right. But there was all of this messaging around like, well, if it's just sexual, then you're a slut. And at that time in my life, slut was a very bad word. I think most Um, of us have most, most 
people like we're familiar with that word and the connotation that comes with that. Like it's bad. You yeah. feel like, Ooh, I don't want to be that. Right. And now I'm like, I want to be that. I want to be that. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like, sign me up. I'm it. I'm it. Because it's, it's like, yeah, a person who enjoys pleasure and wants to connect with people. I I'll be that all day. Yeah. You know, I'm an ethical, honest, transparent, loving human. I like call me a slut. That's okay. I'm like, well, even if you. you think of like being 13 or 14 and starting to want to have a kiss or have a touch and, yes. and then someone finds out and if gosh, if you've done that with more than one person and then the, the rumor mill gets going right away, you start to learn that that is bad, that you have wanted yes. to kiss or touch or hold somebody's hand, or maybe you broke a rule when you're young, young and figuring out, you know, your sexuality, we get a lot yeah. of messaging and a lot of shame or praise for what you have done. That is air quotes, like right or wrong. Yes. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. So the, the earliest memory distinctly that I have of this is I had a, um, serious relationship in high school. It was the person who I first had penetrative sex with. Um, and I loved this person so deeply. And there was this other guy. I was, I was a drama and choir theater kid. And there was another guy in the drama theater kid world that I just thought was so charming and so cute. And I knew I didn't want him to be my boyfriend. I was like, you're kind. I didn't have the language then, but like he was a player. (laughs) He was like a 17 year old flirtatious player. And I knew I didn't want him to be my boyfriend, but man, did I want to know what it was like to kiss him. And I remember like, literally I wrote in my diary, I don't understand why I can't kiss him, but then still be with my boyfriend. Like I love my boyfriend. I don't want to leave my boyfriend. Why can't I just see what it's like to make out with this guy? Right. And then everything's fine. Like, I know I don't want to date him, but that concept, it didn't have language. I I didn't tell anyone because it felt so shameful. You know, I was even afraid to tell my best friend that I thought, you know, that she would judge me and, you know, how dare you have these thoughts? Because all of the messaging around me was monogamy is literally the only way I hadn't even heard of like swinging or, you know, any of those old stereotypes too, like nothing. It was like monogamy or bust. And I, I didn't want to bust. Right. And that's so confusing. And, and like my heart for poor, her poor little you that's thinking like, is I there know. something wrong with me? The shame. And I just want to like reach to little you and be like, no, there's nothing wrong with you. Like I, I would identify as a monogamous person. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, open to people being however they are. I think people that are yeah. experts in their own selves, but I can still relate to being 13, 14, 15 and liking more than one person at once and wanting to figure that out. And like, having points in my life where I liked more than one person did want to kind of like see and, but didn't want to ruin anything and didn't want to be bad and feeling yes. deeply shameful for liking more than one person at once. And still sometimes I can identify with having a feeling, a romantic feeling for another person. I just, my personal preference is to choose not to act on it, but I can certainly right. see where other people would want to make a different choice. Totally. And, and you look at, you know, TV shows, like the bachelor is the, the most long running reality (laughs) dating show. Right. And it's such an interesting concept because the prize quote unquote at the end is a monogamous relationship, but the process of the show is like a crash course in non-monogamy. Right. And and like, so you, you, it's just wild. And then, you know, you always have this person every single season of that show. Wow. I didn't know that I could like two people at one time. And you're like, shocker. I know. Did you know you could have two friends? Did you? Do you have two other siblings? Do you have two parents? Right. Like we can, we have the capacity for love. And and like you're saying, we can choose whether or not to, to act on that or whether or not we want that to be our relationship design or what we want our day-to-day life to look like. Um, yeah, but for me, it's very, very deeply ingrained and being monogamous was a more conscious choice and decision after I learned what non-monogamy was until it wasn't. And then it was a conscious choice to be non-monogamous. And since then I have felt so much more in alignment with who I am and 
you know, anxiety has lifted so much has, has lifted. Yeah. So take us through like, so you have these kind of inklings, this experience when you're young and, uh, all all you've learned about is monogamy as many of us have. And then at some point in your life, this, this changes where you learn about it in school and you make a choice to, to kind of see. So how do you make a decision? What does that look like at later in your life? So I learned what it was in school. And I think it was about a year and a half after that. I was on my first date with the person who I wound up marrying. His name's Kyle. And we were on our very first date and we were telling each other our entire sexual histories. It was the most wild, interesting, honest, radical date ever. And I brought up this concept of non-monogamy and he was like, oh yeah. I mean, could you imagine like not ever exploring anything with anyone else? Like we're 24 years old, right? you know, like hopefully we're going to live until we're in our nineties that, yeah, like that feels insane. And I was like, yeah, I know. And we both agreed that, um, we wanted to kind of build a foundation, especially because we had no freaking idea what non-monogamy even looked like in practice. You know, I knew this from like this clinical angle, but like, if you would have said, okay, go, I would have been like, uh, uh, uh like, <laughs> yeah. okay. So we agreed that as we continue to date, we would check back in with each other, whether that be once every three months, six months, whatever, or if it came up, um, organically. And we would just check in and bring it up. And so we did that. We continually checked in and we wound up getting married, still monogamous, um, still checking in. And then in 2018, 2019, 2018 or 2019, um, we finally started practicing and it, it was so scary and so wonderful. And I felt 14 again. That's you know? exciting. Yeah. 14 again. Well, for some of us, 14 is exciting for some of us. It might be horrifying. I, I mean, it, it was kind of all of those. There were so yeah. many ands. It was like the most scary, exhilarating, exciting, anxiety inducing, wonderful, uh, experience. And yeah, I, and now I cannot even imagine living a life of monogamy. Like I, I can't, I cannot wrap my head around it for myself. Yeah. Totally can for other people. I have plenty of monogamous clients. I was monogamous for more years of my life than I wasn't. Um, so I totally get it. It's just for me, I no. (laughs) It kind of sounds like what you talked about before. Like this feels aligned. This feels like your truth. Yeah. Yeah. What was the scariest moment and the most like exhilarating moment of opening up your relationship? Oh, I've never been asked that question before. Um, Okay. Scariest moment. (laughs) Scariest moment was actually, I, so I went on an app, it's called field F E E L D not Mm -hmm. affiliated, just want to name. It's a sex positive app. And the majority of folks on there are non-monogamous, not all, but the majority went on field friends recommendation. I met a guy, literally the first person I talked to, which is insane. Cause now I've been on the app for a while. And let me tell you, this is insane. The fact that it was the first person we exchanged messages. We set a date to meet up and the scariest moment was leaving my apartment and saying goodbye to Kyle and getting in a taxi and driving to that date. Mm. I, you would think that it was the person at like left at home that would be having the anxious pacing panic. No, no. Kyle was cool as a freaking cucumber. He's like, you'll be home by this time that we said, like, it's all good. Can't wait to hear about it. And I'm in the taxi, like texting him. Are we okay? Are you sure this is okay? I'm freaking out. You promised me that this is okay. Like every fiber of my being was like, you're doing something wrong. Right. And it was really the first time that I noticed just how deep the programming was and how oriented I was towards 
non-monogamy. And so that dissonance was so scary. Right. So you guys have made the decision and you're in joint agreement. Hell knows you're going, you have arranged a time. It sounds like it's transparent. It's open. It's honest, but you're still sitting there and you're deeply afraid that you've made this mistake, that you've done something wrong, that you're going to mess things up. Yep. I'm like, you, you promise you'll kiss me when I get home. You're not oh. like, we're going to sleep in the same bed. And like, Kyle, we've never not slept in the same bed. Like all of these were completely irrational mm-hmm. things, you know, no evidence to support them. I was just a freaking mess. And finally we got on the phone and he was like, Rachel, I really, really, really need you to go enjoy this date. Oh. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and what I, a lovely I, supportive message. Oh yeah, I know. And it, it, that's part of why it's so important to, you know, do the work as individuals and with your partner, especially if you're transitioning from monogamy yeah. into non-monogamy, yeah. um, the most exhilarating, uh, twofold actually it's, it was that night also, um, I had always wanted to live in New York and I didn't wind up making it to New York until I was married. And since I had wanted to live in New York, since I was eight years old, I had envisioned myself dating in New York. And when I got married and still lived in California, I remember like grieving that idea that I would date the loss of your dream. Yeah. Like this one aspect of my dream life was not going to happen. And there I was walking around. It was, I was near Lincoln center and I was holding the hand of this incredibly wonderful, handsome man who was not my husband. And we were on a first date and he said, can I kiss you? And I look up and I can like see the skyline and I'm watching all the cars drive by hearing the sirens. And I was, I said, yeah. And he kissed me. And it was like one of those moments where I felt like my leg go up metaphorically, like, <laughs> like in the movies. Exactly. Yes, yeah. Exactly. And I just thought, holy shit. Like I, I get to date in New York Aww. and it was just, it was so incredible. It was so incredible. And then the other one was when, um, Kyle and I were first able to be uh, physically intimate with the two people who are now our partners, um, which is a whole other very long story, but we met at the beginning of COVID. And so we distance dated for six weeks. Mm. And so that moment of um, t- literally touching hands was like an electric bolt <laughs> of everything. Uh, Cause you know, I mean, at that point, none of us had even hugged another person that we didn't live with. So everything felt, felt heightened and, and exciting. I can only imagine the anticipatory, like excitement that builds when you are feeling attraction and chemistry with people, but you have to be six feet apart. So wild, so <laughs> wild. And again, not something that I ever thought I would experience again, you yeah. know, the, all of these things that, um, we go through. And then when we get into a monogamous relationship, it's like, oh, okay, well then I'm I'm just not going to experience that again. And for some folks, that's totally cool. And it was a part of, you know, a phase of life and now they're in a new phase. And for me, I, I love that. I love building new relationships and I love experiencing that excitement, Mm -hmm. um, and recreating that excitement with people who have been in my life for a while too. It sounds like there's really special moments. Like there's a lot of beautiful, wonderful moments that come from, I'm not quite sure the, maybe the right word and you can help me. Cause I know for you, it's not a choice. And that's, that's the word that's coming to me, but it's not, a, it's not always a choice, but whatever your orientation is, your lifestyle, like there's always going to be amusing, beautiful benefits that come with that. And there's going to be consequences yeah. like there is with anything in our life. Can you maybe help me with the word there? I'm, I'm yeah. struggling. I want to say choice, but I feel like I know that's also the wrong, not quite the right word. I think that just there are benefits and challenges from being who you are in this world. Yeah. Okay. And, and like, whether that is your sexual orientation, whether that is your relationship design, whether that's your romantic orientation, whether that is your being an introvert or an extrovert. Like there are so many wonderful things that come from being ourselves. And there Mm -hmm. are challenges that come from being ourselves too. And, you know, sometimes I hear like, oh, well, more partners, more problems. And I'm like, I 
can tell you as a therapist who specializes in couples therapy, that that is factually untrue. Yeah. <laughs> like we have problems, we have issues, we have challenges and conflict, but it's frankly not more than I had when I was monogamous. And it's yeah. not more than most of my couple clients that are monogamous have as well. So there are a lot of misconceptions. I'm sure there are. I imagine at, maybe at time, I'm sure at times there's the same problems, whether it be about you didn't put your fork in the sink or yep. you came home late <laughs> or, you know, the laundry's not done or like, guess like how you're parenting or who's parenting the dog or whatever it yep. might be. Like, I'm sure some of those common things are, are the same. And then maybe there's some differences too that, that may come up, but I'm sure a lot of it is similar. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. I mean, I would say most of it is. And even, even the things that are quote unquote unique, like one of us going out on a date with somebody else, you could almost boil down the crux of the issue to if that person was going out with a friend, mm. because really it's not, it, it's usually not about the thing that you're going out to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like if you're frustrated that your partner is out a lot with their friends, you're not frustrated that they're watching football. You're frustrated that they're not home with you. Right. And so if, yeah, it's just, it's, it's all very similar. It just looks a little bit different. Right. Okay. Well, thank you for clearing some of these ups and for sharing some of your stories. So let's imagine that someone has been like noticing some of these inklings they're in Maybe they're not in a relationship. Maybe they're in a relationship, but they're like, oh, maybe I might want to dip my toe in the shallow end of the pool or heck, maybe I want to dive in the deep end. I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to check this out within myself. What would be some of the beginning steps someone could take to explore their own sexuality, their sexual orientation? How would, what would you suggest? So a few things. Um, number one, read some books. And I know that that sounds so corny. So I apologize. Um, there are two books that I would highly, highly recommend. One is the ethical slut. It's written by a sex therapist and a sex educator. Um, it is a little bit outdated. There are like a few things in it that you're like, was this book written this year? No, it was not <laughs> for, for the most part. It is, um, people refer to it as like the non-monogamous Bible. Okay. I mean, it's, it's, wonderful. And then the second one is polysecure. And that is written by a psychotherapist who uses attachment theory to help people understand relationships. And mm -hmm. I think that that book is helpful for anyone who's interested in relationships in general, mm -hmm. but then it also goes into specifically, um, polyamorous relationships and non-monogamy in general. So that's the first thing would be books. Okay, um, I'll link those in the show notes. If anybody was like, ah, I need to pause, yeah. stop, <laughs> rewind. I'll just put them in the show notes for you. Perfect. Uh, the second one is take, take workshops. Ooh. So like I have on my website, three different workshops. I have non-monogamy part one, non-monogamy part two, and then navigating jealousy and non-monogamy, which is kind of like once you're already in it. Um, I have those on my website. I also have a colleague named Corey Bush. I can send you the link to put in the, the notes. Yeah. And they teach a non-monogamy 101 workshop that comes at it from a little bit of a different angle because they went to a relationship coaching program and I come at it from a therapist perspective. Right. Um, so take workshops, like learn from people who are in it and who have studied it. Right. And those are the two things right? If somebody's up there and they're saying I'm monogamous, but I took a half a semester and learned about relationship design. And then now I'm teaching a class on relationship design. Like, no, <laughs> try to find someone who's in it because of the nuances of this topic. Right. It's really, really helpful to learn from someone who can use examples from their life or even someone who isn't personally, but let's say has professionally dedicated themselves. Right. To monogamy. Yeah. Um, and then the third thing is I can give you, I have, I wrote down a few questions that you can kind of think about and journal on and Ooh, yeah, let's hear these. Okay, great. So think in your past, have you ever felt romantic love for more than one person at the same time? Another question to ask yourself. 
how do you define the word commitment? Commitment does not mean monogamy. And our culture uses those interchangeably. And mm. that is false because I am in a committed relationship with my best friend. I'm in a committed relationship with my brother. Right. Right. Committed has nothing to do with sex, romance, monogamy, any of it. And so if you take out this idea that it's monogamy, what does commitment mean to you? Um, another question, what do I want in my romantic and or sexual life? Am I open potentially to multiple romantic relationships? Am I open to multiple sexual relationships? Do I want those to overlap? Do I want both? Mm. If I want more than one partner, what degree of closeness and intimacy do I want from those relationships? And then two more. Have I ever felt the desire or have you ever felt the desire to explore a relationship more freely? So have you ever met somebody and thought like, man, if I weren't with my partner of 12 years, I would love to explore this. And then finally, this is one is really, really important. If you are in a romantic relationship, is your desire for other relationships coming from dissatisfaction or lack of happiness in your current relationship or because you want the, and because you want to explore more mm. because when we try to shift from monogamy to non-monogamy as a way to plug up the holes in our existing relationship, that is a recipe for disaster. So those, that's where I would start books, workshops, and those questions and reach out to me on Instagram. If you have questions about any of these things. Yeah. And, and Rachel does so much, like she posts like those, ask me anything. And I've seen her answer lots of questions with just like the goodness of her heart and her own time. Um, and so I know that she, she means what she just said there. And also uh, like check out her workshops, check out the books. There's so much stuff. So we're going to link all the resources. She said, we'll link the questions as well. Can you speak about that last thing you just spoke about a little bit? Yeah. Um, that feeling dissatisfied in your relationship and trying to um, maybe open it up to plug up that dissatisfaction. How come that's a, we're both making faces as we, how come we're both <laughs> making faces about that? <laughs> I think we're both making faces because that's the other kind of stereotype around open relationships right. is like, so I, re I'll tell you, I, I remember growing up, one of my parents, I'll leave this as vague as possible. So if anyone listening is like, why are you talking about me? They can't prove it. Um, one of my parents had a friend who had an open marriage. This is what I knew growing up. I didn't hear the term non-monogamy. I just heard the term open marriage. As I got older, I learned, did not ask for this information, just want to be clear. I learned that this open relationship existed because one person in the marriage had a higher libido and one person in the marriage had a lower libido and the lower libido person said, I can't give this to you. Go get it outside. And that setup can work if the person that is saying, go get it outside is saying that with the actual kindness of their heart of, I want you to have everything you want. Like, I want you to be able to, I have celiac disease. I want you to be able to eat gluten. So please go get pizza with someone who doesn't have celiac disease. And I say that with zero resentment. I say that with zero ick. I say that with 100%. I want you to enjoy pizza because I know you love it. Mm -hmm. If it's coming from that place, that's great. But if it's coming from a place of, I'm not getting enough here. So I'm just going to say, can I please go have sex with other people? Because like, you're just not giving it to me. Yeah. A, that doesn't feel good. B, that's not a collaborative decision. And there are plenty of relationships where one person identifies as monogamous and one person identifies as non-monogamous mm -hmm. and they work out. 
they, they happen all the time and they work out, but the motivation cannot be, I'm not happy in my relationship. So I'm going to try to go find happiness elsewhere. If that's the case, then ask yourself why you're not willing to end that relationship. Mm -hmm. And if it's like, if it's just because of the kids or if it's anything that really isn't about the love and care between the two of you, take a look at it Mm -hmm. and hopefully get a therapist involved because a a good couples therapist can help decipher is this kind of a, oh, there is a mismatch libido. Oh, you're both open to this potential setup. That's wonderful. Let's figure out what agreements could look like. Let's do this. And then there's going to be another situation in which it's just, it's a nightmare and we don't want that. We don't, we don't want non-monogamy to be a way to hurt our partners. That is not what it is. It is a way for people to be their full selves while being loving and honest and open. And the openness and honesty is what's so wildly wonderful about all of it. Right. If I want to go out on a date with someone I find attractive, I can tell my partners, Hey, I find that person attractive and I want to go on out on a date with them. Yeah. So what I'm really hearing is it sounds like in correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm a little off. So it sounds like what you're describing is in non-monogamy. What's helpful is when it's like, like in we're happy here and we jointly agree. We would like to open this up or we're, or we recognize there's a dissatisfaction and from the goodness of our hearts, we want goodness for each other. And we're open yes. to opening it up to see if we can help meet some of these needs, but it's done from a place of mutual agreement, mutual understanding and mutual trying to benefit the other, not from a place of like spite or vindictiveness or that kind of thing. Yeah. In the same way that like, so we were talking a little bit, I'm a theater kid and I love going to see shows. And if none of my partners liked to see shows, I would probably go find a friend or even a date that wanted to go see a show. And that's not because I am unhappy in my relationship. That's because I, I want to go see a show with someone who wants to see a show because that makes it more enjoyable for me. And my partners want me to have that experience. So they're like, yes, go find a person to go see a show with. And like, that's the non-sexual or romantic example of that. Great example. So I guess one of the things, maybe you could clarify this one for, for the listeners, sometimes in cases of infidelity, I hear people who have been unfaithful say things Mm -hmm. like humans aren't meant to be monogamous. How is infidelity different than having an open or polyamorous relationship. Yeah. So infidelity or cheating can happen in non-monogamous relationships too, because what cheating is, is a breaking of an agreement in a relationship. And in monogamous relationships, your agreement is usually that you don't have romantic or sexual relationships with other people. So if I have an agreement with my partners that I will use barriers like condoms. If I have whatever type of sex with whoever, and I don't do that, that's cheating. That's infidelity. That is lying. And that's breaking an agreement. Right. So people who say who cheat and then use monogamy as the well, I'm just not built that way. Okay. Let's give, let's give that space for a second. Is that person saying I can't be monogamous, Mm -hmm. right? Like it was, was this acting out their way of opening up a conversation of, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I love you. I want to be with you and I cannot, I can't be monogamous. Right. Or Did this person just simply say, I don't care and go have whatever they did and then come back and are using this line that they've heard somewhere. Right. And so not all cheating is equal, not all, you know, like we were talking about, we're only given the model of monogamy. And so sometimes there are people who figure out that they're non-monogamous by cheating. Right. And that sucks. That sucks. 
Yeah. But more often that is a reflection on our lack of education around our options than that person being a dick. Yeah. And I think actually, so John Romanello on the podcast, I'll link that show to this. He actually explains in, in my episode with him, how he went from infidelity and then that, how that taught him about how he was non-monogamous and then now how he's open and transparent, but, but he actually shares that journey and how that happened for him. If you're curious, you can listen to that episode. Yeah. And that's, that's a great example. It's a great example. And, you know, I've only, we were talking about my journey. I've only technically cheated twice in my life, which is still too many times that I would care to admit, but both of those were screaming out help cries Mm. of there must be something different than monogamy Mm. at the time. I was just an asshole. Right. And like, I thought I was just an asshole. The people involved thought I was just an asshole. Like everyone just thought that. And that's okay. That was the framework that we were operating within. And I did, I broke agreements that I had, but I didn't even know that I had agreed to them. Right. Because I didn't know that there was another thing that I could agree to. Well, it sounds like what you're saying here is if, if that is what somebody says, there's a couple of questions here. Are you trying to say that maybe this is something you need to explore? Do we need to look at that? Or is this just an excuse that you're now kind of throwing out? Cause oops, you've done a thing you've, you've engaged in a lie or some deception and you're kind of trying to deflect responsibility. Yeah. Or is there something to address in the relationship or is this person trying to get out of the relationship? Yeah. Right. Like that's another thing that I'm sure you see. And and Mm. I see a lot is like the, oops, I cheated, but like, it's not an oops. And it's a very intentional I want to end this relationship, but I don't want to say that. So I'm going to do something so that my partner says, I don't want to be with you anymore. Right. And so it can be so many different things and like, not all cheating is created equal. And I really, really want to encourage anyone who uses the, like once a cheater, always a cheater line. It, it makes me so sick to my stomach because as someone who has been there, I can tell you that that is not true. Yeah. And it may be true for some, just like everything is something is true for someone out there, but it's not the majority. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for clearing those things up. I agree. And I see that in my practice, there are some cases then you probably know as a clinician, like which ones you're like, Oh, this person is more likely to be unfaithful again in the future. But majority of people that come in have made a mistake. They regret it. They're flooded with guilt, remorse, and shame, and they want to make it better. And they're often, they're often very confused about how they got there. Some of them know, but I find a lot of people are quite confused about how they wound up in that position. Totally. Totally. Well, we're not taught how to be self-aware, <laughs> No, right? Like, wait, so sometimes we do things and then we're like, why, why did I, why? Yeah, and it's hard because the partner who, um, wasn't unfaithful is then yeah. with that question, why did you do this? Which is then very hard for the other person to answer because they're like, I don't know. Yeah. Which is like, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. then that's part of therapy as well to help understand yeah. what has happened. Exactly. Exactly. You've talked about agreements, mm-hmm. which I think is beautiful words. And I feel like I know what you mean, but I worry mm-hmm. that maybe people, other people don't know what you mean. Could you define what an agreement is in, in, in relationship, I guess? Yeah. So I I like to say that rules are things that someone sets for us. They're above us. So the law uh, is a rule, right? Like the speed limit is a rule. It is something that is set for you and you have to follow. It's just what it is. An agreement is between people. So an agreement could be, I will be home no later than 2 a.m., regardless of who I'm out with. Um, An agreement could look like someone saying, hey, I'm feeling really nervous about STI transmission and pregnancy. And I would feel a lot more comfortable if when there was sexual activity outside of this house, that there were barriers used. And then there's a conversation, okay, is this just for penetrative sex? is this for oral sex, right? You get very specific and it's like, then you can literally write down on your phone when having X type of sex with anyone outside of 
us, what whoever us is, I will use a barrier, whether that be a condom or a dental dam. Um, agreements are things that you bring to the table and ask your partner for, and they agree to, and then you operate within that together. So in monogamy, there is an assumed agreement that you will not have sex with other people outside of the relationship. It's not usually explicit, which is so wild, right? We're just like, well, we got married, so I guess they're not going to have sex with anyone, but we don't actually sit and say, Hey, we're agreeing to not have sex with other people. Right. And in non-monogamy, everything is explicit. There is like nothing left unsaid because you want everyone to feel comfortable and safe. And there aren't those assumptions made because you get to make your own agreements. You're not operating by these shoulds and by this relationship escalator and by all of these other social norms that are just kind of handed to us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, I like, I like how you describe some of the assumptions and then opening things up in the different kind of conversations that you can have and defining agreements that was helpful. So as we wind to the end here, I'm curious, what is one of the most surprising ways, I guess, that you've experienced love being non-monogamous? Oh, I knew that I had a very large capacity for love. I didn't ever think in a million years that I would have three primary partners. Like the fact that I live in a house with three other adults that I am in love with and love is just baffling to me. Like when people, when I tell people and they don't know me or they're learning about about it for the first time. They're like, Whoa, I'm like, I know I'm still in the whoa phase. And it's been almost three years. Like I, I had no idea just how much I wanted and needed and was capable of this type of relationship. And it surprises me every day every single day that I interact with the three of them. I'm like, how in the, I, it just like, I I don't even have words. It like still takes me off guard. So -hmm. just capacity and, and space and abundance of love and how jealous and insecure I can be. Like, (laughs) I thought I was a real secure person who like, didn't get jealous. And that went out the door, out the door when non-monogamy came into play, like, whew, man, it's wild. It really like all of your insecurities and all of your jealousy stuff and fears and envy. It's just like, hello in your face. Yeah. Deal with me now. Yeah. And I think I've become a better person because of it. You know, it's been hard at moments, but I I've become a better person and a better friend, a better daughter, a better sister. I, I've become a better therapist. It's not, well, I loved as you know, these two surprising things were kind of those really opposite ends, like your capacity for love and just how, how you can have these three partners that are your primary partners, how deeply you love them at the same time, jealousy and envy that they're both coming up. You have both of these things. And yet this is the right, this is the most aligned course of action for you. This is what feels like your truth. And there is a wide range of emotions that aren't good or bad. They're just part of your human range of emotional experience as you live this life. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Jealousy is not a bad emotion. I mean, there are no bad emotions, but jealousy is certainly not a bad emotion. It, it is one of the most informative, helpful, don't get me wrong. It feels like shit. (laughs) Like, no, you know, and it's incredibly helpful and informative. And, you know, when you break down jealousy into like the different emotions that kind of make it up and really get good at identifying like what is creating this jealousy and then being able to name that and then make an ask to soothe that, whether that's an ask from yourself or an ask from a partner, it is so empowering. It's so empowering to be like, I'm scared that that person, because you like blondes, you're going to want to have sex with them more often than me. Mm -hmm. 
it's a really empowering thing to say that. Yeah. And then have your partner say, okay, that's not the case. What would be most helpful for me to reassure you that that's not true? And then you're like, oh, well, I don't know. I just unearthed that that, that was the thing. <laughs> I have no idea what I need to make myself feel better. Yeah. And then you learn that about yourself. And then right. all of a sudden now you learned about a new insecurity and a new way to soothe. Right. And it's just growth all the time. Right. It sounds like there's a lot of growth and it sounds like you have found the willingness to express your needs and the confidence that your partners are going to respond to them, hopefully in a way that helps you feel safe yeah. and that there's conversations that can be had about these needs and they're going to try to help you through those. Oh yeah. And you know, one of the agreements that we have is I don't want any reassurances that aren't true. Right. So I don't want someone blowing smoke up my butt. Like if my partner is going through a phase where they do want to go have sex with blondes more than me as a redhead, I would rather them say, you know what? You're right. I am going through a phase like that. I can reassure you that it doesn't change how much I love you. I can reassure you. Right. And all of these other things. And that helps build trust. It may sting in the moment. And this is an example. This has not happened. I'm using a very (laughs) random example. Um, but to know that when your partner is reassuring you that it is true. Is well, it- and it sounds like though, that in this, they were able to tell the truth and validate the parts of your relationship that are still important, intact and their love for you. Yes. So there's like this, there's still both there's truth that hurts and still the expression of the love. Yes, Exactly. Exactly. Rachel, I think you're the kind of person that people could talk to for hours. You're incredibly brilliant. Your mind is, uh, you have a beautiful way of explaining concepts. Uh, you, you use personal vulnerable examples to help people understand them. Thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom. And I want to honor you in your time by making sure I get you off at the time I said. Um, so just, gosh, thank you so incredibly much. Thank you. Thank you for having me, truly. Oh, my pleasure. If people love what one loving this, loving you right now, where can they follow you, find you, learn more about you? My website is rachelwrightnyc.com. It's R-A-C-H-E-L-W-R-I-G-H-T. And my Instagram where I am most of the time is at the right underscore Rachel. So right with the W Rachel E-L. Great. And we'll link that in the show notes too. Awesome. Thank you for tuning in to Relationship Psych, the podcast put on by Ember Relationship Psychology. If you're looking for more free relationship help or advice that comes straight from the couple's therapy room, check out the free resources and the blog at www.emberrelationshippsychology.com.